Hello, friends, and welcome to the Optimized Advisor Podcast, where we focus on optimizing the well-being and best practices of insurance and financial professionals today. On this show, our objective is to help you optimize your life, optimize your profession, and learn from other optimized advisors. I'm your host, Scott Heinela. We hope you enjoy the show. Connor Anderson, Managing Partner with Advisor Assist. Thank you for joining us today. Absolutely, Scott. Thanks for having me. I do really appreciate your time to uh, spend with us and share some of your insights. As we were talking previously, you and I were introduced. This is a blind date of sorts, if you will, for, for you and I through a good advisor, friend of ours, Bart Zanbergen, was at a investment conference you spoke at. He uh, mentioned you very highly and said, this is somebody you've got to have on your podcast, specifically sharing this information on how advisors can optimize their practice. And, and the topic of today is at least at the highest level, we'll unpack a number of things, but this, this RIA versus in investment advisor representative, you know, we're so, we're so, um, regularly having these conversations today of advisors considering leaving their broker dealer of course that's one element of things and just going to be a standalone fee-based or fee-only advisor and then this question becomes well do I become my my own RIA and take on all of that responsibility and I think the misunderstanding for many correct me if that statement is is accurate or not of it's it's super simple and easy to do and everybody can just become their own RIA and and uh, deploy all these different technologies and services and off I go versus uh, going under the purview of an RIA and becoming an IAR. Absolutely. And, you know, Advisor Assist, we are uh, really in the, the center pinning of uh, this discussion and, and um, uh, project management for, our, for these advisors that have been part of uh, the wirehouse um, their entire life. And they've uh, come to realize, I think maybe I, I can do this on my own. Um, mm -hmm. But what does that entail for me, right? Uh, I'm, I'm no longer just going to be managing client relationships, but now I'm actually managing uh, a small business. Um, and, and with that comes a lot of responsibilities around putting good infrastructure in place. And then in the back of your mind, there's always this thought, well, what about compliance? What are the regulators uh, expecting us to be doing um, and that's not me. I always had a compliance officer. So where, where are we right now? And how, um, what are the things that I don't know that I should be doing? And ultimately, um, advisor says what we do is, is, you know, have those conversations, be a good partner, allow these RIAs to uncover um, those, those areas to help them build, to grow, to optimize and protect their business. So is that where advisor assist mainly focuses in, the, that wirehouse advisor who's who's leaving the mothership, if you will, and, and going this independent route or what other forms of advisors do you do you uh, experience? You know, bulk of our, our clients that that are net new to us um, generally uh, come out of, uh, you know, the wirehouse right there. They're looking to start up their own RIA. So that's a really good uh, tranche of new clients to us. Uh, the other side is, you know, working with existing RIAs, um, small, medium or large, 
um, around what their current infrastructure looks like because they're always um, a lot of them are looking for uh, the next new thing or um, a better service provider than what they've had before. Um, and, and we'll do a little bit of both, to be honest with you. Um, but I can't stress enough that regardless of um, the, the environment that they're coming from or that they're in right now, as soon as they're talking to me or, or my colleagues here at Advisor Assist, you know, their eyes open to say, well, this isn't just compliance. You guys are actually looking at practice management. You're looking at control, infrastructure, governance, because at the end of the day, Scott, for us, you know, that, that, that cliche that's always said out there is that compliance is everybody's responsibility, not just the CCOs. All right. So I definitely want to circle back to that and close concisely with, with exactly some of the specific things that advisor assist does and helps advisors and then, and, you know, the call to action of source, but let's start from the beginning, right? So in that context, advisor is looking around and making that big business decision of, all right, I'm going independent in some capacity. Mm -hmm. And my first real, uh, uh, path crossroads is do I align myself with already an uh, established RIA uh, and or become and become the IAR underneath them or do I do I go this all alone what, what are the some of the first things and high level decisions and um, you know decision points that they're going to be confronted with that'll help them navigate those waters yeah, you know, boil it down in uh, short kind of, uh, you know, bullet point there. It's For me, it's ultimately what control do they want, right? Are they, are they an individual that are entrepreneurial, that they can they can have a, a, a business that they manage and maintain, um, you know, their king, you know, bottle washer, uh, waiter and, and everything else in between, in addition to being a leader and a CEO and a CCO and an advisor to their clients. Um, ultimately, our you know a lot of our clients will uh, they're faced with that question and uh, they're 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 game for it right they want to do it they they feel that they have the, the the mindset and the ability to do it. Other advisors look at that and say you know what I'd rather go into an established RIA that's separate from a, a, a independent broker dealer um, and tuck my business in right we are seeing a ton of that with our current clients that um, are established that are looking for that inorganic growth. Um, they, there's recruiters out there that are, are finding these advisors that are looking to go. And if they don't want to go independent on their own, talking into an advisor and, you know, the, the, um, the, uh, I guess, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Cause I know we're going to be, uh, chopped up here. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, th they're the deals that they can make with an advisor that they're talking into, um, books open, right? Um, everything's on the table and, and they're able to negotiate really good terms and better terms, frankly, than what they're having uh, with the wirehouse. Yeah. So what does that look like and what you're seeing today from an acquisition standpoint? Just, just right. What's the pulse of today? Because it's been very hot in uh, previous years. Is the market shifting a little bit yet or not yet? I mean, you know, it's it, it, the flight independence has happened, um, you know, for, for the last 10, 15 years in the U.S., right? Yeah. Uh, I think there's been a little bit of peaks and valleys. Maybe we came uh, what the fear was we we're going to come uh, into a valley in, in, in COVID time. Um, but really what we saw, we, the, the, the business, uh, our business, the, the, the transitioning uh, flight to independence, it, it really didn't stop. 
um yeah, you know probably accelerated right it, it really did and um there were some concerns maybe with uh the the um current environment with uh with, with the, the the yield where we are um recession fears um but the clients that i'm talking to that are really at, uh, at for um this m a business they're going home they're, they're they're moving forward they they see it as an opportunity the valuations of of firms that are out there um are what they are and in order to get that high valuation they know their assets their advisor uh quality and the client quality needs to c continue enhancing and and you know it's not stopping all right. So I, I definitely want to talk a little bit about what you're seeing from a valuation standpoint. Um, you know, the typical multiple is somewhere in the range of two and a half. Right. And we're seeing we're hearing and seeing multiples significantly beyond that. But there's also some confusion, I think, in terms of what specifically the multiples are valued on. So what are you seeing as the main one or two valuation uh, methods that are seeing and what is being valued today? Absolutely. So, you know, first and foremost, it's, it's, it's AUM, right? The higher AUM, um, in my opinion, I think that's going to drive it. Second to that, probably 1A, 1B um, certainly is the uh, quality of the uh, enterprise, right? Um, having uh, a really good process, uh, an internal practice um, that is sound, um, that there's uh, significant um, uh, reliance on good quality third parties, um, providers where uh, the margins are really good, right? So mm -hmm. if they're able to control their margins and they're able to control, um, you know, the ongoing process, that valuation is going to shoot up, right? So, you know, you're right. I heard a crazy, uh, recently I heard a crazy valuation north of, uh, of 20X on, on a, uh, on a, 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 a the sale of an RIA, mind blowing. That is incredible. Mm -hmm. It is, but again, you know the 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 entity that that that's in the, the, they have a significant business. There's complexity there, but with that complexity, it's simplicity, right? It's it's a good process and a good practice. What are you seeing? So it's it's definitely easier, at least as a starting point, to value AUM. What do you see in terms of valuation of two other areas that I that that I we see advisors and or agents have maybe a disconnect in the reality of valuation? But one would be insurance. So, mm -hmm. you know, non-recurring revenue or maybe some recurring revenue. How do we value insurance within a practice that might be significant and very meaningful to that to that practice? And then two, a sales process or a sales funnel. Do, what do we see in terms of valuations there? Well, you know, the, 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 the firms that have um, revenues that's coming in outside of just assets under management fee based, right? Um, in the past, it's been heavy on the brokerage side. It's heavy on the insurance side. I don't think, in my opinion, that it's uh, that's affecting that much of a, of a valuation perspective as it, as it once did, right? right. We're seeing, again, this flight to independence, the move away from the commissionable brokerage practice. Um, it's, it, you know, it's not driving, in my opinion, that much valuation, right? The, the, the insurance part of that, though, I think is, is, is helping the valuation because it's creating that universal wealth management, risk management uh, practice 
for for an individual client. So if if, if an RIA can provide that, have has a uh, a way of providing insurance offering to those clients. It's not leaving the, the, the house or the umbrella, so to speak, right? Staying within uh, an, an RIA's uh, organization. Yeah, sure. It's going to hop up a little bit on, on that valuation. Right. Okay. All right. Um, so from from a establishing, let's let's talk about starting the RIA. What are some of the things that you would say are like foundational uh, best practices that'll help an advisor really get off to the right, right, um, the right foundation to begin with one, but also two, I I think there seems to be maybe some confusion around, and I'm going to throw out the loose term, just how easy this is. Sure. Sure. No, absolutely. Well, it always starts with uh, really good uh, uh, third party providers, right? That's law firms, that's compl- uh, compliance consulting firms or regulatory firms. Sometimes they can be one and the same. Uh, and uh, the third really is having a really good uh, provider, whether it's a, a custodian. Um, and then if you're uh, so far as to ha- you know, have a TAMP, um, that's going to handle your kind of uh, investment practice or process, mm-hmm. trading the um, client management uh, piece. If you have those three um, and uh, you're able to understand what those three or four uh, service providers can actually offer you, and you buy into to, to that guidance and that advice, generally uh, those advisors are uh, better off when they do that day one transition, right? Um, there's a, we've seen a lot when it comes to, uh, from a legal side, uh, employment contracts when they're leaving the, the wirehouses. If, if you don't have a sound um, and really talented uh, law firm that's looking at your contracts, you know, that's when the, 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 the TROs come into play from uh, uh, for, for that for that advisor, which you, you get hit with a TRO. You're you're slowed down for, you know, accumulating that initial um, tranche of clients coming to you. Right. Um, if you don't have a really good regulatory partner, um, the, the registration process, whether it be with the SEC or the various states, um, it, it can it can you can you know, have a, a number of missteps and not be set up the right way. Um, if you don't have, uh, you know, really good relationship with your custodian, you you're, you might not uh, understand all the fees that your clients may be subject to. Um, and that hits the profitability of a firm. Um, you know, ultimately, we saw in, you know, 2019, the, this massive shift to zero uh, with, the, with the custodians, right? Um, asset-based pricing, transaction-based pricing, the types of uh, securities or investments that, that advisors are managing and holding on a legacy basis. Now they're independent. Is it, are they able to maintain um, a similar book or similar uh, portfolio? And what does that do from, from a profitability perspective? Um, and then on top of that, you know, they're open architecture now. They're no longer just subject to whatever the wirehouse effectively uh, mandates them or, or puts on, on a, a, on a, a, a available uh, investment list form. You know, right. um, so if, if, you're, if those advisors have the ability to kind of work within these four or five, um, you know, uh, components of their transition team, um, and they buy in, they trust us, um, ultimately their transition and their year one, year two is going to be a ton smoother than, uh, if they didn't. And so where does advisor assist step in and help with that process? I mean, I imagine there's a consultative approach. 
And there's a very hands-on approach for those who are saying, look, I, I just need to partner with a firm that can help my, guide me properly. Yep. So, you know, we want to be the quarterback, uh, to be honest with you, between all those uh, parties, right? Because we've seen it, we've done, you know, 10, 20,000 of these registrations over the years, right? So we absolutely want to be uh, right in the middle of that and, and asking questions, getting the advisors talking about their practice. What have they done um, to, to date? And what are they looking to do in the future with, with their practice and their, their new RIA? The more we can understand from them, have I, get their ideas out, we're going to be able to better guide them uh, in terms of, um, you know, the, the best practice uh, that, that they can put in place for their, for their uh, new RIA, right? Um, and whether it's dealing with the regulators, whether it's dealing with, um, you know, the, the custodians or the other partners that they, you know, uh, use as their team, we want to be right in the middle of it because every one of those conversations is effectively going to create a, a needed control structure in place. And we want to be there to say, listen, you should do it this way because here are the benefits. If you don't do it this way, you're going to have potential gaps. And where there's gaps, ultimately, um, in our mind, that's where we see the regulatory issues come up. So on that end, let's let's transition a little bit into this compliance supportive services and, and maybe talk a little bit about trends and audits. Uh, navigating those waters versus the state and the SEC, dramatically different experiences that an advisor would have, yep. I could imagine. So, uh, yeah, what, what are we seeing in the realm of compliance and audits and just the regulatory environment as a whole? You know, in 2021, uh, we started tracking uh, much more data points on, on this on our end, right? And, and we went through uh, north of 100 uh, examinations with our, with our clients. Um, that's telling us that the regulators see and understand this flight to independence. They want to make sure that uh, who is registered with them truly understand their requirements, right? Their obligations as a fiduciary in this space. Um, and I will tell you that no one exam uh, is similar to the next, uh, which makes it interesting for us as a service provider, because when our clients, you know, call us and say, hey, I've just been contacted by a regulator. They're coming in for an examination. What should I expect? You know, we we, we try to create that floor for them um, of expectations. But any exam can go any any different way. So we've seen a lot um, and and we can tell generally pretty early on if a regulator is going down a, a, a tract um, and what they may see from a public filing or what they may see from um, initial conversations with that CCO or owner of an RIA um, where we can really need to step in and help guide the, the exam as best as we possibly can. Um, you know, we started tracking the, the, the common deficiencies with, uh, with these examinations. And to be honest with you, it's, it's almost bread and butter stuff. It's lack of disclosures. It's mispresenting mis, uh, um, uh, service offerings and fees to clients and a, and a failure to disclose conflicts of interest. Mm -hmm. So as I said earlier to you, you know, where do we sit in the registration phase? You know, we want to be in that uh, quarterback position and ask the questions and get our advisors talking to us because the more they tell us information about their infrastructure, their business partners, their practices, we're going to understand a lot more from a conflicts of interest perspective to allow for disclosures and mitigation of those conflicts that hopefully help the examinations um, that may come six months, a year, two years, even five years down the road. If we have a good understanding of that early on, we're handling a lot of the, uh, 
the regulatory issues that may come up out of those exams. So let's talk a little, the, the thought that initially comes to mind is like, what a distraction. And, um, you know, so many of these type of firms are running pretty thin. You know, it's a small team. Uh, they're very entrepreneurial in nature. Mm -hmm. They're, they're working whole, the optimization of their time and value is directly with clients uh, and developing those relationships and working on financial plans and all of that. Uh, talk to me a little bit about how disruptive an audit could be to a firm. It can be very disruptive, right? Especially if you don't have a good partner um, that helps you through that practice, right? Um, because again, you're dealing with a regulator. Uh, whereas in the past, you've never had to. Uh, you may have had to sit in a, a arbitration hearing or, or discussion with a, with a FINRA auditor or what have you. Um, the minute that now that they're in front of a regulator, that's not their bailiwick. Mm -hmm. um, so with us and, and our practice, our process, we are we design um, the, the exam support um, in a way that we're lever we're lowering those emotional reactions and and just getting to the to, to brass tacks to be honest with you this is what they're asking for this is what they want this is why they want it let's wrap our heads around that ask and be able to educate you before going into an examination because if the the better they're educated the better that um they can formulate responses in our opinion the easier the exam goes right yeah i mean that's a good point i imagine that if depending on the size of your firm, if you've got the SEC in there, they're going to be in there for many days and, and you are not conducting business when you are dealing with an audit. It's uh, it certainly is. It takes away, especially if you're that producing advisor that may have a control position, whether it's you're the CEO or CCO and you're looped into the exam. Yeah. You're definitely taken away. Um, and you know, the, the, the unfortunate part is we don't know how long these exams go. The, the, the SEC, for example, you know, they have um, publicly set out there that their exams, they want to ballpark it to 180 days. We've certainly seen exams that go pa well past 365 days that remain open. Right. Wow. And, and, you know, there's, there's, there may be a three month time period where they don't, the advisor doesn't hear anything from, from, from them. And they call us and say, is, is this an issue we haven't heard? And at the end of the day, from our perspective, you know, no news sometimes is good news because right. these examiners, they've got multiple exams that they're, they're making their way through. So they pick one up, they get through an understanding, they pick one up, they go through the process, right? And then for one exam, and then they close that out and they go to the next exam. So um, depending on the, the flow of um, uh, the, the examination how the conversation is going, what conversation, what, what topics they're hitting on. It's going to tell us really, you know what, uh, we need to be a little bit tighter on our next response here because of potentially we see this going in a certain way. Yeah, that's great insights. All right. So going on, we, we want to talk a little bit about other industry trends. What are we seeing uh, industry trends? Maybe we could cite a, t a couple and then, and then uh, we would, We'll be running out of time. Absolutely. So a uh, number of industry, we've already hit a little bit on, on one of the major industry trends, right? And that's the M&A, right? right. It's, it, these advisors um, that have been out operational for, you know, five years, um, they want to see their valuations of their business go up higher. What does that mean? How do they do it? Um, they're really interested in, in finding uh, inorganic growth, right? It's that tuck-in advisor. 
Um, I've had a couple of conversations with some very close clients of mine saying, you know, I'm not just interested in tucks and tucking advisors anymore. I'm actually interested in merging forces with another existing RAA. What does right. that mean? Right. So we're having those conversations with them. And, you know, to be honest with you, from a regulatory control perspective, when you're in that conversation or you have that desire to, to tuck in or, or merge with an RAA, the advisor, the, the owners of those firms or the control people of those firms that aren't asking the simple questions of whose control process is going to be the legacy, who's going to remain going forward, how quickly can we merge operations, um, you know, at the end of the day, clients' best interests have to come first, right? So the, the firms that have the ability to understand that merge in an expedient manner, um, almost like there's a, there wasn't a blip in, in, in operations or, 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 or client service, um, those are the ones that actually are really good at that M&A. Ones yeah. that are, are, are struggling with it, um, they, don't have, they don't have a good practice already in place. They don't, they don't have the, the foundations, in our opinion, um, to be able to tuck in you know, a, a large team or an existing RIA. Yeah, it's an interesting point, too. The other thing that uh, what you're really referring to is a lot of the what I would classify as the X's and O's, uh, the process of the organization, having the people in place, who's doing what, is there overlap, how are we going to deal with overlap? Those are some... Um, again, X and O conversations, not easy, but X and O conversations. The other part that I think about is kind of, you think about merging firms together as a partnership, it's kind of like trying to weave together fabric and, and the core values and the culture of those firms is where my mind goes. And, and that's probably a pretty challenging, probably harder to find. It is. And, and, you know, the, the, the ones that do it really good have a knack for cutting through a lot of the minutiae and the noise to, to, you know, be a little bit more direct maybe, and, um, you know, can solve that, 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 uh, that problem that's facing, um, because it, there, there's a time component to this that they, then they know that they have to uh, address, uh, and, and get beyond before they can, you know, go on to the next one and, 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 and not lose uh, brand, you know, awareness, not lose client relationship or reputation. Yeah, it is. It is an exercise to me of um, not not every shoe is going to fit. And the more that you know, i.e. the existing firm, what your what your core values are, kind of who you are as a firm and and who it is that you're aiming to attract in terms of your clientele, the easier that that those those relationships and those opportunities will materialize in a profitable manner Absolutely. and profit not just in dollars but profitable in all the other intangible benefits as well absolutely all right what else are we seeing you mentioned a little bit uh, about yeah. outsourcing yeah outsourcing so you know we all saw um at the end of october the sec um announced a, a new role a rule proposal that was uh put out there um not shocking to us because the exams that we've been through over the years has been around uh third-party vendor management and, and due diligence um so this oversight of third-party providers um service providers is is certainly a, a major trend right because um you know the the independent space is really built on the ability of an a, a, an individual ria to you know go to a uh, a specific um uh crm system 
that they really think is best for them. The cost is right. In addition to the CRM, they've got billing services. They've got all of these providers out there. Um, and and it's, a, it's a burgeoning, blooming, um, you know, uh, value prop for them. With that comes um, a, a responsibility of that advisor to make sure that they're doing as much due diligence initial and ongoing for those product providers, right? And it's no longer at this point just at the, 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 the third-party tech and service providers, but we're also seeing it um, on the investment side, right? There's products out there that are just coming up. Every day you, you learn about something new. You see trends um, for these RAAs that they're putting their clients in, right? Private funds um, have, have been opened up a little bit more for um, what I would call, while they're still qualified accredited investors, right? There's, it's, it's becoming more of a norm for our clients to say, hey, I, I want to have my clients have access to this. What, what's, the, what's the concern for this? And at the end of the day, without really good initial due diligence, um, education of your advice, of your clients as a, the, the risks to investing in those types of securities, liquidity concerns and, and the like, um, advisors may not think through that process. Um, and they're putting clients' assets in there. And I think that's where we're, truly where we're seeing uh, some of these uh, SEC exam um, priorities come from um, because of what this uh, landscape and this marketplace looks like for the advisors, because, you know, it's opening up the doors and it's like, whoa, uh, we have open architecture now. I can have access to all these, generally speaking, um, without proper due diligence. That's mm -hmm. where the SEC is going to come in or regulators mm -hmm. going to come in and say, um, we didn't do enough here. Yeah, it, it's a very, it, the, what you just said actually brings a lot of clarity to it. Now it just opens up for a lot of, of ambiguity and, and easy insertion points from a regulatory standpoint to ask questions. Absolutely. You better have the answers. You better be prepared. Uh, and there's where you probably can't stress enough <laughs> having resources like advisor assist in their, in their back corner. Absolutely. Because again, you know, what, what one of our fun taglines we like to say uh, is if you don't document it, you didn't do it. Right. You have to have um, ways to back up your claims in a in a pitch book to a client that you have a robust investment due diligence process. Regulators are going to say, OK, let's talk about this robust process you have. And if you don't have something that even scratches the surface of, of, of a robust process, you know, there, it's easy pickings for, for, for a regulator. Yeah, I've never had somebody sued for over disclosure and too much documentation. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, in closing, let's kind of recap uh, where where Advisor Assist steps in, uh, who were who you're looking to shoulder and partner with, and and where can they get a hold of Connor Anderson? Yeah, absolutely. So you know, our our sole goal um, for a uh, as the advisor to advisors, we want to we want to you know be able to um, provide our clients with best practices. That's not just, oh, you should do this. It's, you should do this and this is how you do it. Oh, and by the way, here are vendors that you should utilize, right? So we're really on a mission over the years to, to find the best that's out there um, and allow, uh, allow us to kind of do that due diligence and, and provide a number of solution offerings to our clients to say, hey, if you're faced with this type of, uh, um, of a need within your, your, your practice, here are some vendors that you should utilize 
right? Um, that, that's going to help optimize your, your, your business practice. Um, and, and, and truly, as I said, I can't stress enough, we want to be advisors to them. We want to we know about their practice almost more than they do, right? So that when that regulation or re that regulator comes to them during an examination, we're able to kind of sit shoulder to shoulder with them and be able to guide and, and do the things um, to, to help that process, right? Because, you know, the adage is that's going to help them sleep better at night, mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah. Yeah, so, absolutely. you know, where to find us, um, you know, advisorassist.com. Uh, we, we try to we don't try to be the 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 only product or the only solution out there. There's there's a number of, of really good consulting firms uh, in this space. Uh, we're just one that we, we really want to um, extend beyond that compliance and, and become the that, that 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 truth, that truly trusted partner. Uh, from a practice management, regulatory management, and compliance. Wonderful. Well, thank you very much for your time. This was very insightful. And um, thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in. Until next time. Thank you, Scott. Cheers. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. Please subscribe, like, share, leave a comment, or review. Be sure to check us out on social media at Optimized Advisor Podcast. Till next time. <laughs>